You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 81. Today, we're sitting down with six members of the esteemed Photo Cascadia team to chat about exploring and photographing the beautiful state of Washington. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Nature Photographers Network, or NPN. NPN is an online photography community dedicated to the art and craft of nature photography. It is a safe and supportive place to connect with others who are passionate about nature photography, to get helpful and constructive feedback on your photographs, and to learn from experts through articles, image critiques, Ask Me Anythings, webinars, and more. I've been a member myself for a while now, and I highly recommend you check it out. To become a member of NPN, just go to npn.link slash OPS and get 10% off your first annual subscription with coupon code OPS10 at checkout. Again, go to npn.link slash OPS and get 10% off an annual subscription with coupon code OPS10 at checkout. Hello, my friends, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. And if you are in the North, I hope you've been enjoying some of the amazing fall colors we've had so far this season. I unfortunately have been fighting COVID for the last couple of weeks, and so I haven't been able to get out at all, but I do hope to catch the tail end of the season. Anyway, we have a very special treat today. Six of the seven-member Photo Cascadia team Join me to chat about their forthcoming book, Washington Evergreen, Land of Natural Wonders, which is available for pre-order and comes out next week on October 25th. There is a link in the show notes for you if you would like to go ahead and order it. And we don't just discuss the book, but we also go into depth about the biodiverse and geodiverse regions of Washington state and what kinds of photographic opportunities are there and some unexpected things that they learned about Washington along the way. So let me give you a brief background on Photo Cascadia in case you aren't familiar with them, and we'll get right to the show. Photo Cascadia consists of seven photographers, Aaron Bobnick, Sean Bagshaw, both of whom have been on the show, David Cobb, Adrian Klein, Kevin McNeil, Chip Phillips, and Zach Schnepf. They are all from the Cascadia region and share a common interest of photographing the striking beauty of the outdoors, especially in the northwestern United States. PhotoCascadia.com is where they share educational insights, images and stories from their travels, some tips and tricks, and other photography-related content that benefits photographers of all levels. They also offer workshops as a team, as well as have individual offerings. The purpose of PhotoCascadia is to explore areas of natural beauty, encourage stewardship and conservation, and offer inspiration by sharing their images, stories, and knowledge with other photographers who share their passion. And so without further ado, please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Photo Cascadia. 
Photo Cascadia, welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. It's so great to have you guys come on the show today. We actually have six of the seven members of the collective, which is super exciting. And so I was hoping to start off that maybe you guys could just introduce yourselves one by one. So tell us your name, where you're from, and, and then we'll get into it. So Sean, why don't you kick us off? Okay, I'm Sean Bagshaw. I'm based in Ashland, Oregon, and I'm really excited to be here to chat with you today, Brenda. Hi, I'm David Cobb, and I live in the Columbia River Gorge along the Washington-Oregon border, and I am also glad to be here. Hello, Zach Schneff from Bend, Oregon, and like everybody else said, happy to be here. Thanks, Brenda. Hi, uh, Kevin McNeil. I'm from Olympia, Washington, and I am also happy to be here. Hi, I'm Erin Bobnick. I'm based out of two locations, one in California and one in Europe, in Slovenia. And I'm really excited to be back on the show with you, Brenda. Hey, uh, this is Adrian Klein. I am based out of Portland, Oregon. And thanks for having us on today, Brenda. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to dive into things today. So I know you've all covered it in other interviews that you've had, but for our audience, in case they're not yet familiar with your work that you do as a collective, I was wondering if one of you could give us a little background into how you got started as Photo Cascadia. So Adrian, how about you? Sure. I'll, I'll try to keep the... This this could be a, a you know a two minute answer or it could be a twenty two minute answer so I'll I'll try to keep it to the to the shorter one um, so basically the the gist of it is I was doing some um, portrait and wedding work early on this was about two thousand eight um, taking a break from the corporate life and I decided to basically get out of that business, go back to corporate world, transition back to the landscape nature stuff that I enjoyed the most. And during that time, I was asked to be part of a collaboration with a bunch of portrait photographers. And I declined because I was getting out of that business. And it got me thinking. I was like, well, what about something like that for the landscape nature side of the business? That'd be a lot of fun, especially if it was Pacific Northwest or West Coast based and so I brought the idea up with Kevin, who I was closest with out of this group at the time. And he's like, that's great. You know, who, who would be part of that group? And I started thinking about all the people that I was interacting with on NPN. So a lot of us were very active in Nature Photographers Network um, at that time. And so came up with some initial ideas of, of who that would be. Um, and that was the initial six of Sean, David, Zach, Kevin, and Chip, and myself, um, and that was that was when we basically formed. I went went out to everyone and said, "Hey, this is the idea I have. What do you think?" And everyone said yes to my surprise, which was awesome. Yeah. So then the real work starts after that. <laughs> you know, figuring out uh, you know what to name ourselves, how to go about, what's our mission, all those things, um, and so. You know, basically that was the genesis of us getting started. And then, you know, fast forward, um, you know, Aaron was a, a, a photographer that we were fond and of her work and loved what she was doing and invited her to be part of Photo Cascadia. And she's been a great addition since then. So the seven of us have worked well together since um, the beginning. And it's really amazing that all of us have um, been together this long. I mean, we still are really good friends. We work together. And I'm happy to dive into more, but that's the the short version. And anyone else can jump in with other pieces. 
Yeah, no, that's terrific. So it's about what, 15 years now that you guys have been together? Uh, 13 years, right? 13 now. years. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's a record, isn't it? As far as photo collectives, I don't even know if F64 had been around for that long. Nope. No, nope. we we win by no. a long shot with them. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we made it a few years. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I think that we love to do is we have our meetups. We try to do once a year, and um, those always become very eventful. Something yeah. always happens, <laughs> and uh, they're pretty exciting. Something always happens, and I can't. I always can't wait to see what's going to happen. And we choose a different location every year, and we try to find something different that we haven't been to, and then we do some shooting, and we do some you know, all chatting, all kinds of fun stuff. So, Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like from what I've heard, as you guys have described it in, in other interviews, is that the, the glue that really keeps you together isn't so much the photography as much as it is your friendships. I'd say that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. If it weren't fun, like, what's the point? You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, that was one of the things that I thought on early on was less about, hey, what is going to make this the best business? It was really, who am I going to enjoy being with? Because at the end of the day, if I'm not enjoying the people that I'm hanging out with or working with, it's not going to you know, stick. It's not going to work long term. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So each of you has your own photography business in addition to being a part of Photo Cascadia. And through Photo Cascadia, you're working on different collaborative projects like your new book that's coming out, Washington Evergreen, which is available for pre-order right now. And it's going to come out next week after this episode is published. So congratulations on that. That's super exciting. I was fortunate enough to receive a digital copy of the book, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for for sending that along. So I was hoping we could start our conversation off today chatting a little bit about the new book. So first, what inspired creating this book about the state of Washington, and what purpose or vision do you hope it serves? Kevin, how about you take that one? I think you're the only Washington resident here, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. <laughs> You know, we got the, we were lucky enough. We work with Timber Press and we did had done the Oregon book and we had a good time collaborating on that and everything worked well. And they were, we were fortunate enough to say, Hey, do you guys have images from Washington? And we said, absolutely. And we loved the opportunity to, to do some more. I had a lot of images from Washington and some of the others had some, but it was a good opportunity for all of us to try to go back there. And we kind of had a, had a hit list, if you might say, of, of places that we did have. And uh, some of the guys really got together and uh, went and did that. So it was kind of, it was really good, good project to work on. And we're fortunate enough to, to, to work with Timber Press on that. So. The original concept for these books actually came from the publisher, uh, Timber Press. They approached us with, they, they pitched the idea to us, basically. Okay. Uh, they'd kind of, I think, been looking through, they're an Oregon-based uh, publisher. They're out of Portland, Oregon. And so they started by looking at photo books of Oregon and saw that um, it had been quite a while since it had been a nice, dedicated photography kind of coffee table book about the state of Oregon. And so they felt it was time. And then they went looking for photographers to create that book. And when they came across Photo Cascadia, and there's seven of us, and, uh, you know, the majority of us live in Oregon. So we had this big um, bank of imagery from Oregon already. I think that's when they realized, wow, this is like kind of a perfect fit for this book idea. So they did the Oregon book with us. Again, their concept, but we were glad to collaborate with them on it and partner with them on that. And then after the Oregon book was done, 
they said that we're really happy with how that went. How about Washington? So that's kind of how the Washington book came. It was uh, on 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 the kind of the heels of the Oregon book and the success with that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So for those of us who haven't spent a lot of time in Washington, can one of you please, you know, break down and describe the different diverse geological and ecological landscapes and regions of the state that are there and, and what sort of photographic opportunities you could find there? David, you want to take that one? Uh, uh, I'll, start, I'll start from the west and go east and up in the Olympic Peninsula. Obviously, it's the uh, rainforest in that area and also the mountains and just spectacular beaches. And further south, you have a lot of uh, lighthouses and sloughs in the uh, state of Washington. And in the book, it's broken down by seven regions. Uh, as you move across east, you have the Cascade Range that uh, basically cuts its way through the, the western one-third of Washington from north to south, going to the Canadian border from the Oregon border. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, those areas with North Ca- Cascade National Park and Mount Rainier National Park, and you've got Mount St. Helens, which blew in 1983. So there's some some scenes to be photographed there, and a lot of us have done that over the years. And then as you move further east, you get kind of into the canyons and croplands of the Great Basin Desert because the the rains stop pretty much at the Cascade Range, and it gets a lot drier as you head east. So you get a lot more scrubland and um, but in Washington, you also have a lot of rivers, so there's agriculture in the area, and there are pockets throughout that are beautiful. And, you know, the Beasley Hills and the, the Juniper Dunes Wilderness are some places featured in the book. And then the Hanford Reach, because uh, the atomic bomb was made, created in that area, the area has pretty much been abandoned. So the Columbia River through that stretch is super wild. And that's actually a national monument too. Uh, in the north central part of the state, you have the Pasayton Wilderness, which is kind of like the North Cascades with a lot of sharp peaks. But uh, it is drier. And then you have the Columbia River Basin. And then further east, you start getting to the mountains that stretch through Idaho and Montana. So uh, a little bit of the Rockies in a way coming into that range. So it's right. it's a diverse state. There's a lot of varied flora and fauna, and it's just it's a beautiful state to photograph and explore. So of those regions, what was your favorite region to photograph, David? Uh, I really like the Pasayton Wilderness. It's a it's an area that's under photographed. You have to backpack in and explore, and the hiking isn't easy to get into that place. So, you know, just to be there all by your lonesome and see these mountains that not a lot of photographers, very few photographers have visited and photographed. That was a lot of fun for me. Zach, how about you? What was your favorite region to photograph? Uh, My absolute favorite, and this is my favorite uh, backpacking wilderness area anywhere, is the Enchantments in the Stewart Mountain Range. Uh, also, the Alpine Lakes, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable up there, uh, especially in the fall because they have the uh, subalpine larch. That's one of only a few varieties of deciduous conifer. Mm-hmm. So, it's a conifer that turns gold and loses its needles and then regrows them in the spring. Um, plus, all the mountain goats and the granite up there and the string of alpine lakes, it's totally spectacular. I and bet. Once in a lifetime experience. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. Erin, how about you? What was your favorite region? 
Well, there are a lot of places that I haven't photographed in Washington, but among those that I have, I would I would have to choose the rainforests of Olympic National Park. There's just something extremely special about them. They're so big. There are rainforests elsewhere that I love also, but those those are the real deal. <laughs> They're just so um, charming and enchanting. It's another it's otherworldly. So I I get lost in there. Can photograph forever. Yeah, yeah, a lot of green and a lot of chaos, a lot of interesting light. Yeah, um, Kevin, how about you? What was your favorite? I think for sure, it's, for me, it's got to be Mount Rainier. I yeah. absolutely love Mount Rainier and the, and the when the wildflowers are peaking. It's one of the most unbelievable places to see with all the visual color and the different things, the waterfalls, and there's just yeah, I, I do that every year. I haven't missed it in 15 years. I absolutely love it. So. That's love, awesome. love, love Mount Rainier. Yeah. <laughs> Adrian, how about you? Well, I, I love the diversity of Washington, so it's really hard to, to pick my favorite, to be honest. Um, it's a little bit picking your, your favorite children. Yeah. Um, I, I would say <laughs> I would say the, the trip I had, um, you know, one of the, uh, you know, when we were dividing and conquering, it's kind of as Kevin was talking about of the, the quote unquote hit list of areas we needed to, to visit. And so going with Sean, we hit some places in central Washington um, that I'd never been to before. And so that was really fun to explore just the geological wonder sitting in the bottom of this basin and realizing it was a river at one point and, you know, seeing this dry waterfall that was once you know, several miles wide, uh, you know, so it's just the history that there is there uh, in the central part of the state I found really fascinating as we were taking pictures for the book. Yeah, yeah. And Sean, how about you? Well, uh, I realized before I say my favorite place uh, that when we were doing introductions, we forgot to introduce the one member of Photo Cascadia who's not here. Correct. That's, that's Chip, true. Yeah. Chip sorry. Phillips. And we, uh, you know, Chip is a great friend and we're, uh, you know, we love any time we get to spend with Chip and Chip's photos are spectacular. Chip's also the other Washington resident. He's from uh, Spokane. And so he he's photographed the whole state very well, but he really knows the Palouse region, uh, mm. which is a very popular photographic area for all the uh, kind of rolling wheat fields. And Chip's Palouse photography uh, is is beyond compare. It's just wonderful. He knows that area so well. And for me, I um, you know, probably anywhere in the Cascade Range um, of Washington, all of those mountains are just beautiful and I love going there. And the other part of Washington that I really got to enjoy and hadn't really explored previously was the uh, Gifford Pinchot National Forest, which is um, kind of in the Cascade Range south of Mount St. Helens. And again, it's another kind of rainforest, but it's not a coastal rainforest. It's, it's you know, in the, in the mountain ranges further inland, but it's just green and lush and has waterfalls for days. Just so many mm. waterfalls and a lot of kind of unexplored off trails sort of areas in that, in, in that forest. Nice. Well, uh, many of you have already alluded to the fact that you had to spend a lot of time in the backcountry and really remote areas in order to create some of these photographs. And so I was wondering if you could chat a little bit about what kind of preparation goes into getting into the backcountry in order to explore these regions in terms of physical training and safety and gear and, and not camera gear, but just in terms of being out in the wilderness. Zach, you want to start us off with that? 
Yeah, sure. Well, again, uh, going back to my favorite, the the enchantments, um, I, I actually do have to physically prepare to go in there because it's a pretty extreme hike going up Asgard Pass um, into the upper enchantments. Uh, I think you do 6,000 vertical feet on the way in. Um, and usually we're carrying, you know, a 70 pound or a 60 pound backpack with camping gear and photo gear, as well as food and things to keep us alive <laughs> while we're up there. Um, so, we all, you know, you try to pack as light as you can, bring lots of ultralight camping gear. Um, you're really careful about what lenses <laughs> you want to bring in because some of those are pretty heavy. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, of course, just bringing the essential food and, and, uh, water filtering and all that kind of stuff, again, just for survival up there. But it is an experience that's so worth the effort. And uh, just, yeah, always have so much fun when we're up there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you guys have any stories of uh, sort of close calls, near misses, anything like that? <laughs> Kevin's got a great story from the north side of, uh, of Mount Rainier. Uh, one one year when David and I were actually trying to meet up with him, we never did. And then he had he he went off on his own around the north side of Rainier. You want to give us the rundown on that, Kevin? No, you you. I want to hear you say it. What? No, <laughs> I, I'm yes. probably I'm probably okay. Well, l- let me know where I get it wrong. Yeah, because because yeah. I think this story has grown over the years, and it <laughs> yes. probably has reached like mythical status, and I've probably embellished it a lot. But um, so anyway, David and I were in Mount Rainier. Kevin was in Mount Rainier. We were trying to cont- contact each other and meet up, but there's really poor cell signal in most of 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 the national park, so we just were not making it happen. So David and I went about our business, and then. Kevin Kevin had a scheduled uh, backpacking trip uh, in the north side. What's that area called, Kevin, on the north side that you went into? Uh, I'm trying to think here. I think it was Spray Park, wasn't it? It was Spray Park. Spray Park, okay. Anyway, was it nine or ten miles in? Yeah, something like that. So nine or ten ten miles in, beautiful side of Mount Rainier that you can only see by backpacking into it. Kevin hikes all this way in there with his big backpack and gets there, sets up camp, uh, is ready for the sunset. Uh, The sun's, you know, it's looking like it's going to be this spectacular sunset. Uh, Goes out, finds the perfect location for his photograph at sunset and then realizes he has no camera batteries oh no (laughs) am i right kevin yes you're right it was grand park grand park so i had gone i had gone in the full way and it ended up being nine miles right each way yeah that you can do there's there's a shorter way but i didn't know it at the time right i was so excited and i had been out there and yeah you know when i was yeah so kevin has no he has no batteries and it's you know, the sunset's coming, but he realizes that his best chance maybe is to get, you know, if he just stays there, it's going to be beautiful, but he can't take any photographs. So he might as well get back to the car, get camera batteries and be set up at least maybe for sunrise to photograph somewhere else. So Kevin starts, packs up his camp basically at sunset and starts the, he's already hiked nine miles in that day. He's going to hike the nine miles back out so 18 mile total day and he's going back out in the dark. He also had brand new hiking boots. Oh no. And on the nine miles in the hiking boots just destroyed his feet, blisters, 
beyond, you know, just super painful. So at some point he decides that he's really going to damage his feet. He needs to hike. Uh, he needs to take his boots off and he's just backpacking now barefoot in the dark, <laughs> which then causes him to stumble, you know, and, and, you know, fall. And at that point then injures, you know, this fall with a heavy backpack on and bare feet injures his back and he doesn't oh. know how badly. Um, but he basically is then crawling all night. Oh gosh. Through the dark on his hands and knees. and about sunrise finally he sees someone coming the other way and he says i'm injured i've been out all night i need help and the person says well good lucky for you you're only just a few hundred you know a few hundred feet from the parking lot finally after his all-night crawl so he <laughs> crawls his way back to the parking lot gets in the car drives himself all the way back down to olympia from mount rainier Meanwhile, David and I don't ever know what happened to Kevin. So I call Kevin like a week later and say, Kevin, we so sorry we missed you up there. How'd it go on your backpacking trip? And he says, and, and this is when you get this rep, uh, from Kevin, you'll, he'll say, he said, oh, Sean, I really messed up, man. I, you know, he tells me the whole story and he yeah. says, and it, I went to the hospital and I got back and turns out I had actually broken my back and I've, oh my gosh. Spent, I've been in bed ever since with a broken vertebrae. Yikes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an adventure in Washington. Is that all yes. accurate, Kevin? Did I get that? That's, yes, you did. Very good. Yeah. We started with the Whopper, so we're not going to be able to yeah. beat this with any other. Yeah, yeah. no, man, that I, was I a doozy. I want to mention one more thing about that story. That's not even close to the most interesting Kevin story. <laughs> that, uh, we have. It's very true. Yes. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the next book is just uh, the, the escapades of McNeil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if something can go wrong, Brenda, it does with yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. I am a walking. I am like a hot mess, big walking hot mess. <laughs> so, is your nickname "Oops" or something like that? It's way worse than that. <laughs> Crash People, you know what? Yeah, I will say about the the backcountry photography that I think pretty much all of us had a lot of experience doing wilderness backcountry travel before the photography element. Mm -hmm. um, you know, David is probably the most experienced of us. Um, he's done many really long through hikes, the Apple, uh, sorry, the um, Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, not the Appalachian Trail. Is that right, David? Yeah, that's right. Okay, but also across Iceland, he's hiked all the way across the interior of Iceland, and just you name it, David has walked it. Um, Aaron obviously has a lot of experience backpacking and uh, mountaineering and climbing in the Alps and in the Dolomites, and Kevin's been in Washington and Canada's life, and Adrian and myself and Zach, we've all spent a lot of time in the backcountry in the wilderness before we became photographers. So that was just a real natural once we got into photography, combining those two elements, the photography with the wilderness travel, just, you know, made sense to all of us. And that's one of the reasons why we're, you know, part of this group. We all kind of have that in common. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, you guys have spent a lot of time now in the state of Washington, um, both before and after working on this book. And so what did you discover about Washington through this process of creating this book? as a group that was new to you. Adrian, you want to kick us off? 
Sure. Um, I kind of to my my prior answer talking about favorite places. I'll just you know expand on on that. I I knew it was very diverse landscape. You know, we've all you've heard all the answers from all of us. Everything from rainforests to beaches to to mountains to deserts. Um, but really seeing all that in front of you at, in the book and preparing for it really just was was amazing to just to see how diverse it was. Like, for example, David and I went and explored a, you know, a dune wilderness that neither one of us had ever seen before. So just, again, that kind of diverse landscape that, you know, we're, we're talking about mountains and seascapes, but there's also dunes that you can go photograph. So there really is that that immense diversity across the entire state. Erin, mm-hmm. how about you? Well, you know, we didn't produce most of those images for the book. So the the I think the learning for me and probably for a lot of us was just seeing it all come together. So we most of what is in the book are from our archives, right? So there mm-hmm. weren't that many trips that were necessary to fill in blanks given the vast catalog of images that we already brought to this project going in once Timber Press came up with the idea. And so I've just learned about the variety and everything that David described earlier when he gave this that wonderful thorough analysis of all the different biomes in the state. Uh, I don't think I had an inkling really of just how much the state had to offer until I saw the pictures coming out when we put them all together and we had them in a Google drive where we could see what everyone had before we decided what we were going to actually submit to the publisher. And it, it was pretty overwhelming. Like, wow, that that's really an amazing state, isn't it? Yeah. Just when you see it through the eyes of everyone put together. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so when you were going through your archives, did you have any discoveries in that process of, you know, images that you didn't think were keepers at the time that became keepers or, you know, kind of happy accidents that happened along the way where looking retrospectively through your archives, did you discover anything in that oh, process? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think we all had those discoveries, digging deeper and looking back. And I found some things that I had never processed. I processed for this book. And that's that's always fun. I mean, but for me, that's just like, that's always the way it is for me because I I sit on images a lot. So yeah. it's not necessarily unusual that this project project would bring that out. But yes, yeah, it sure did. And it was it was great to go back. Oh, yeah, I did go there, didn't I? And, that, <laughs> and I liked that one at the time and I didn't process it because I don't know why I just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. David, how about you? Um, I think one of the surprises well, I guess it wasn't too much of a surprise is that when we looked at our archives, there were so many images from those popular areas, the Mount Rainier Olympic National Park and the Palouse. So we had to put a cap on how many images we could actually uh, submit to those certain areas. Mm-hmm. So there, there is such a vastness. When I, when I first started doing research in all the wilderness areas in Washington, it was pretty amazing to look at the map. And to see how much land has been protected in that area. And there's so many wilderness areas. And I thought I knew the state pretty well. And there's so many that I hadn't heard of, like the Juniper Dunes wilderness that Adrian was just talking about. So it was fun to explore those places. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Zach? Um, Yeah. And uh, going back to what 
Aaron was talking about that, just that uh, experience of rediscovering images that you forgot about or, you know, and, and when you're diving through your, your library, uh, you get to experience those, those trips all over again. Yeah. And uh, I thought that process was just so much fun and enjoyable. I was also really charmed by a lot of the people that we met on some of these trips we got to go to, to fill in the gaps of the, of the state, mm-hmm. some of the small towns and especially towns like Winthrop, you know, these really cool outdoorsy fun towns. Um, you meet just amazing people and uh, that's half the fun of going out there and, and uh, is meeting these, those like-minded folks while you're photographing. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. It must've been fun for them too, to meet you guys and, and learn about the book coming out, you know, that they, that this is a place that they love as well. And so having that shared um, yeah, admiration. Yeah. Um, Kevin, how about you? Um, when I was first starting out, maybe almost 20 years ago, I was obsessed with Washington and I would sit for hours in Barnes and Nobles and write down all these locations. And then I'd make scrapbooks with little pictures that I had done and I'd take a picture of it. And I was so excited because I had all these pictures from everywhere I wanted to go. And some of those places, I was. This is the chance that I got to go and do some of that. And then also just touching base with David, who, who you know, he's not from. He knew so many places that I thought I knew everything. And then David's like, well, "Have you been here? Have you been here? Have you been here?" And I'm like, "No, no, no. I don't even know the place." So, David, David's a wealth of information when it to those type of things. It was, it was overwhelming, but it was so exciting to realize how much there was. And uh, still, how much more we still have to go. I mean, I, it never ends. And that's what I love about this, this, what we do. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Sean, how about you? I think, I mean, there's so many wonderful surprises throughout the whole state of Washington. For me, the thing that was surprising being an Oregonian is I'm used to Eastern Oregon being this kind of wide open expanse of high desert with really very little population and a lot of public land. Mm-hmm. So really, when we go into Eastern Oregon, you there are dirt, you know, uh, public roads that you can just drive for days and never see other people and find all kinds of really wonderful Eastern Oregon landscape to photograph. Uh, and I kind of expected that in Washington, but when I was exploring kind of the Eastern two thirds of the state of Washington, it's not like that, uh, because David mentioned earlier, because of the rivers that Washington has that Oregon doesn't have. So it's got the Columbia river, uh, the pond, uh, the pond the snake river, the grand, uh, grand Rogers, Bear, and the anyway, a lot of big rivers. So there's a lot of water available in Eastern Washington. And that means there's a lot of agriculture and industry and just development and a lot of private land. So finding the little pockets of public lands where there were opportunities to photograph, you know, wild places was a little more challenging than I expected, but also to find some of those pockets, uh, the ancient lakes, the, um, the, uh, dry falls, the, uh, some of the other places that Adrian and David have also been mentioning were really pleasant to find. And they're also fun because they were a little challenging. You know, you drive through a lot of private land and you realize you, you know, you just don't have access to photograph it and it's all cultivated anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, so on page 73 of the book is a photograph that I think was made by Kevin of an old rusty bike being consumed by a tree on Vashon Island. Vashon. And Vashon, thank you. 
And yep, while yep. there are, you know, the book is full of beautiful and stunning photographs, I think this might be my favorite. <laughs> and so well, I'm curious, you know, Kevin, we'll start with you. What do you think this photograph says about nature and our role in the natural world? I think it's, it does a great job of really kind of showing what, you know, just how we how we are cumbering upon nature and how, you know, man's presence and what, what's happening and how everything's changing. And I think as photographers, we really have to take responsibility in what we, what we do, what we show. And, um, you know, this brings up a host of questions, but yeah, we, we, as we are, as photographers, we do have to be extremely vigilant about what we do and how we encumber upon nature and, and, and how we affect it. And I think this is a great question for Aaron, who's, a, uh, you know, definitely is a proponent about, you know, how we, you know, affect nature. So it's a good, it's a great thing. It's great that you brought that up. Yeah. Aaron, do you want to take it from there? Well, you know, I like to think that this, this kind of dichotomy that we make up between man and nature isn't necessarily a healthy thing. And if we think of nature as the other, as the thing that we're not, that's kind of sets it up to be exploited and attacked and to be set against man, right? So I love these interplays of nature and humanity where they can come together in interesting ways. And I think that if we keep that kind of an attitude going into nature, it's it's more of a uh, it's more fostering of relationships rather than, you know, this sort of conquering trophy winning mentality that tends to end badly for nature, <laughs> usually in the end. So, yeah, I love I love images like that, that um, in some way make a point, at least in my mind, um, that we're we're natural too, humans and we have a lot to offer um, this planet you know, we're not necessarily, we don't necessarily have to be adversaries. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Adrian, how about you? I, Aaron said that really well. I, I don't know if I could say much more to, to add on to, to what she put in as well as what Kevin mentioned. I mean, to me, I, I look at something like that and it's just, you know, really the respect for nature, right? Uh, like they came here before for us. Things are always changing. Things are always growing. Um, you know, just being aware of our surroundings um, because, you know, th things are changing, right? Th the, this, that image is really interesting to me that, you know, we can be, you know, things, something like that could be consumed by a tree. I would never think that a, a bike would be consumed by a tree. So it's yeah. just that odd relationship um, that can exist out there between us and nature. Yeah, absolutely. David, how about you? Well, I think it's also interesting that that tree is no longer there because oh. it became a place for curiosity seekers mm. and this was taken cool. down. So it, the unspoken thing of that is that it's now gone on to another step of man and nature. Yeah, I didn't uh, know so that. So the tree consumed the yeah. bike, which was left there, but now the tree is gone because of other reasons due to man. So, so that, that continues, the this, this story continues, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting. Um, Sean and Zach, do you have anything to add to that? Well, just, I wanted to, for anyone who's not familiar with that particular photograph, um, and the book's not out yet. So when you, if you get the book, you can check it out. But uh, obviously someone a long, long time ago just 
left a bike leaning up against a tree and went away and just left this bicycle there. And then it was a very small tree at the time, obviously. And then as the tree grew, it grew around the bike. And then also as the tree got taller, the bike not only got buried further and further within the trunk of the tree, it also got lifted off the ground and was growing up, you know, so it's, you know, up in the air. Uh, and I think that that, you know, that idea that at that time, you know, the kind of impacts whenever that happened that, you know, leaving behind a bicycle or other things, you know, here's this forest growing and kind of erasing that evidence of, you know, human interference or interaction or whatever in that environment. Um, but we're in a place, you know, at that time, obviously a, a bicycle got left, then the tree grew and now the whole thing is gone. These days though, we, we visit in such numbers and, and, and change the landscape in such ways that it's, I think it's a lot more difficult to erase, you know, for nature to erase uh, kind of the the signs and the impacts that we're leaving in those places. Eventually, I think it always, you know, is the case. But um, I think humans are expanding and having a impacts on natural places in a way that, yeah, nature just can't, uh, can't keep up with. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if, um, if we leave it alone, it's really resilient. <laughs> and if we get in the way, it, it's not, <laughs> you know. Um, Zach, do you have anything to add? No, Sean actually articulated exactly what I was going to talk about. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, really sorry, well. Sorry, Zach. And probably more articulate too. So well done, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> well, shifting gears a little bit away from the book, you all have been doing photography for a very long time. And so you've got these established careers as photographers. And so I'm curious, at what point during your career or during your journey as a photographer, would you look at as a turning point in pushing yourself more creatively? And what do you think fostered that growth? And, and Zach, why don't we start with you? Um, sure. Well, when I got started in photography, it was purely a hobby that became like an obsession. And um, I wasn't even thinking, you know, to ever have it be a career or anything. It was just a lot of fun. And I was really enjoying myself. Um, and then... I was lucky enough to be at the right place at the right time and digital photography was, was, was just coming up and, uh, was starting to kind of phase out film photography, at least in, in production photography and commercial photography. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was back then, you know, you could actually make a living doing stock photography for specific companies actually like work for them. And so I actually landed like some really amazing clients, like, uh, Hewlett Packard and Nike because I was living in Portland at the time. And so I was able to, they would like send me out on little missions for photos that they wanted. And actually that was great because it gave me, um, you know, a direction, something new to, to photograph uh, that I wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so that actually pushed me in a lot of different directions in photography and they actually really enjoyed nature as well as, uh, you know, I grew up backpacking, camping and being in nature so that was my already my favorite, um, and and finding out that I actually could make a living <laughs> selling the type of images that I enjoyed making uh, was amazing, and because and, uh, it was I could have easily just done commercial photography and kept doing weddings and portraits and stuff because that was easier to to make a living doing that, yeah. but um, 
once I just dedicated myself to the things that I loved about photography, being in nature and photographing it and capturing the essence of a place that I loved, um, that, that really was when photography took a, a whole different turn and meant something totally different to me and that I could, you know, make money and make a living doing that, uh, was pretty incredible. Definite bonus there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Adrian, how about you? What was a turning point in your career and, and got you to dig deeper or pushed you more creatively? Uh, I, I think for me, so I, I've been one of those on the team that's had to balance uh, demanding until recently demanding work, a day job of corporate life. Um, also a, a family that was young or growing up now. Um, so my travel has been pretty limited and I've been staying mainly in the Pacific Northwest for most of my photography, which is fine. You know, getting back to the conversations we've been having, it's so diverse and there's a lot to see yet early on, I was finding, I was going back to the same locations over and over, which is fine. I, I love seeing these places and photographing them, but you get to a point that you're like, I photographed it already this way or the, the same way and the same way. And it's like, you want to do something different. So you start to look at it differently. You start to use different lenses. And so for me, I noticed my work changing and the more creative side is already going to locations that I'd been, you know, a number of times and saying, how can I do this differently? Is there a different lens? Is there a different way to look at it? Is looking at the small scenes or the, the telephoto scenes instead of just breaking out that wide angle lens and getting everything that you see in front of you. So I know that was one piece that definitely shifted uh, a maybe a more creative approach or just different way of looking th at things um, in my photography. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually had a recent experience of taking a client around areas in Vermont and he wanted to see a very popular waterfall and it doesn't have a lot going on other than the waterfall. Like there's a, a bridge, so you can't even really get into the stream that the waterfall leads into. And so there's not a lot with the wide angle that you can do with that composition. And I literally said the thing that I, it's like my least favorite saying in photography, which is there's only one composition here. And I said it and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I just said that. I take it back. No, no, no. <laughs> It's like, take out the telephoto lens. We're going to come up with something else. And we came up with some really great abstract images there. And so just taking that different mindset of there is no end to the possibility of what you can create, even at an over-photographed location. I totally agree. That's yeah. Great. And I think part of yeah. that comes from photographing the same place over and over and over again. You know, it pushes you to think outside the box a little bit more. So, Aaron, what about you? Where, where was a turning point in your career, would you say? <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't really a turning point because creativity and art has been really the one constant in my whole life because I went to art school, then I became an art historian, and creativity was just always the name of the game. But I did get lured away from it a little bit when through my art history education, I had to produce photos for teaching and research that did kind of have me veering away from where I had originally started out with photography, which was producing um, creative images for crazy graphic design projects that I was doing back then. And then when it became something that was a little bit more documentary, I did start to um, uh, bristle a little bit at all, at all of that. So it wasn't until I got back into landscape that I was able to 
return to my roots. And I, I guess that, but that was, you know, that was a big watershed moment for a lot of things. But yeah, once I got back outside, all of my background really um, gave me, put wind in my sails and I went back down the creativity path, which is really the only thing that ever makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. Has to be that. Yes. Yeah. Kevin, how about you? Um, that's a great question for me um, because I was, for one time I was trying to do as many places as I could and then um, started getting into workshops and doing a lot of workshops. And now I do a lot of workshops where I return to the same places and I'm learning a lot from the participants in the workshop because they see things so much different than I do. And I was so used to being on my own and seeing that one way of a very wide angle perspective. And, and now, you know, the participants force you to slow down. And so, as you said, with your example of the waterfall, there is maybe just one composition you think about, but there really isn't. There's so much more. And the participants forced me to slow down and they saw things in ways I didn't. And so we'll have 12 people line up in one location. Everybody has something different. And that's what I really like about the workshops is I'm always learning and seeing things in a different way or a different lens or there's just so many things you never stop learning in this business. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really great. And going back to the same place just helps you really push you outside of your, your comfort zone and try things that are new. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. David, how about you? I think it's uh, the late nineties. I was photographing, started photographing Japanese gardens with infrared film. And that led me to photograph Japanese gardens a lot more, which led me to study Eastern art a lot more. And I had, had looked at so much Western art just to see how they composed in China or Japan. It was kind of eye opening to me. So, you know, it led to a book deal for a Japanese garden, uh, book, which got me shooting more regularly. And then it also helped me to become more of a minimalist with my photography and, uh, have cleaner compositions. So I think creatively, it led me in that direction. So I would have to say the Japanese garden work. Sean, wrap us up there. I I feel like I've probably gone through a few different creative shifts throughout, you know, over the years. I've been doing this for a while now, but uh, I think the one I'm most aware of in the last maybe 10 years or so is that uh, I think early on I was excited just to do anything in landscape photography, uh, just to be out taking photos anywhere. And a lot of times that involved taking photos that we've seen a lot, you know, locations, uh, popular places. And I've always been exploring and photographing my own unique places as well. But David would always admonish me. David and I would travel a lot, you know, back in like 2008, 2009. And if we were in a national park, I'd always want to go to that, you know, that place where you've seen a million photos of it. And he was at that point already like, why do you want to take this photograph that's already been taken so many times? I said, because it's, it's photographed so often because it is incredible. Why wouldn't you want to photograph it? Uh, but that now has worn off for me that kind of that feeling of it's almost like a celebrity sighting or something when you when you see this place and go to this place that you've seen photographed so many times. Uh, that's kind of worn off for me now. And getting back to the, the, this, the shift this last 10 years is really what is it that. I enjoy photographing and what makes me interested in doing this. And that's having my own experiences and seeing things that I feel are special to me and aren't just 
common and that everyone has, you know, essentially done the same thing. And so more and more, I find that I deliberately don't photograph those places. I'll still go view them and, and experience them and enjoy them. And then I'll go off somewhere else to take the photographs. And uh, more and more, if I feel like I'm taking a photograph that I can't tell my photograph from everyone else's photograph, then that's not a photograph I'm interested in anymore. Right. Yeah, well, that kind of segues us nicely into my next question, which is that, you know, there are people out there who kind of scoff at landscape photography, saying that we're just taking pretty pictures and that the pictures or the photographs aren't really contributing to humanity in a more meaningful way. Um, So what are you trying to express or reflect through your landscape photography beyond just creating a beautiful photograph? Aaron, do you want to start us off with that one? Well, it, the expression really is the key. So it, it does go beyond beauty. Art and photography are ways of expressing something that doesn't have to be accurate and something that can be really open-ended and there's no other way to express that. So it's not only an outlet for the artist, but it's also some way for other people to enjoy ideas and and, you know, the views of nature and things that they do recognize, but also the things that they don't recognize, emotions and feelings. And we really need that. I think humanity, the wellness of humanity depends upon us having those kinds of ways of communicating with each other, even if it doesn't say something that's literal and specific. In fact, all the better if it doesn't, because we have other ways of doing that. So that's what visuals, artistic output is so good for, is allowing us to speak in ways that we can't otherwise. You know, they always say that two-year-olds are are have their temper tantrums because they can't speak. <laughs> like they don't have the words. And so that's why there's uh, sign language for kids, because it helps them to be able to speak. And I think that that's what art is for adults. It's a way for us to speak where we don't have to speak use specific words. It's a way where we can just enjoy um, being human. It's a part of the process of being human is at least to be able to learn how to enjoy things that are created by humans, if not create them yourself. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. Does anybody have something to add? So for me, if, sorry, if Kevin. I, yeah, I just love it's 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 just great to get in touch with nature again. It's an excuse to get out, and it feels great to be out, and and especially by yourself. It's something I can do by myself, and really think and just appreciate what I have in front of me and how lucky I am to do what I do. And every day I do this, I'm I'm fortunate, and the more I'm out in nature, the more I'm. I, I am so lucky to do what I'm doing. I mean, it's hard to beat what Erin expressed, and it's, she's so eloquent in what she says. But for me, it's simple as just being out there in nature and uh, just getting to do something like this and, and taking a, a a moment, capturing just that one moment, and then I'll never forget. And and just sometimes I love to go through my photos and look back at all the good times and the memories that come with that photo as well, the journeys that we've taken to get there or you know, especially with our photo Cascadia meetups, we've got some great images from our meetups and we've had some great stories to go with those, those, those images. So those bring me, bring me back immediately back to those stories and how we got there and the laughs that we had with that, those images. So, yeah, yeah, that's really great. Um, Zach, how about you? Yeah. I just wanted to piggyback off both uh, Aaron and Kevin. Um, 
<clears throat> I think my favorite thing these days is is just to get out because you know um again I have a I have a young family and a career as well and for me uh being out in nature is my refuge that's that's where I feel you know it's almost like a shortcut to med- meditation every time I'm out alone in a forest or in a mountain alpine lake and to experience that and also to be able to capture and then communicate that to other people um, and everyone has their own perspective. And that really is the art of landscape photography for me is putting something of your experience, uh, and communicating that. And, um, it's not just the way you capture it. Also these days so much is how you process that image to capture the mood you were feeling. You know, if, if it was like a really cold scene, you know, how you process that image is, is, is very different, um, and it really should be your experience and, and the emotions you were feeling um, help color. And, and uh, yeah, if you can communicate that, that again is, is what effective art is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. David, how about you? Well, you started by saying critics say, and I, I can just start with that is that I don't really care what critics say. I, I could give two craps what they say. Yeah. And I just enjoy being out. I enjoy photography. I enjoy the act of photography. I enjoy the act of creating. It's good for me. It's good for my soul. And uh, I'm just going to keep doing it no matter what critics say. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Adrian, how about you? Uh, lots of good things already said here. I I agree with pretty much everything stated so far. Uh, the only thing I would add um, or really add to this is that for me, it, it is the experience first. That is, that is foremost um, before anything else. If, if I don't have an enjoyable experience, um, to me, it's just not as exciting. Uh, you know, there can be beautiful pictures taken, right, that maybe are just a nice scene. They're not as creative and they're you know, they're fun, but it's maybe not going to be the same experience. So for me, I just want, I enjoy being out there, forcing me to, you know, slow down and reflect on things. It really is, you know, um, you know, nature church, right? It's like my way of being out there and just, you know, finding balance in life. Um, you know, I, and hopefully what I would hope is that viewers, can find that little piece of that when they view my work. And I, I posted something recently and there was a comment made around that where the viewer said, you know, I really enjoy your work. Uh, very often it causes me to, you know, pause and reflect. And so I realize that's not everybody, but even just hearing that from one person, getting what I get out of it when I create the photo out there is, is really meaningful to me. And, and hopefully for all of us that we understand how important nature is and, you know, we need to respect it and uh, live with it going forward. Mm, absolutely. Sean, how about you? Well, when critics say that they're just pretty pictures and they don't really, you know, what do they mean? Uh, I don't completely disagree with them. Uh, <laughs> I, I say that a lot. I mean, really, uh, in some respects, I think what I do is not important because, yeah, it's photography and it's landscape photography. Let's get real. I'm out taking pretty pictures of mountains and lakes and streams. I do it because I enjoy it and I like it kind of like everyone else said. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I, I think it's really hard to uh, put a value on pretty pictures. <laughs> I just know what the value has been to me. I know what the value is for me to create them. And I also know before I was even 
of doing photography in the capacity that I do now, how much the pretty pictures from people who came before me impacted me. So it's hard to put into words, but I was very uh, influenced and inspired and excited by so many beautiful photos of nature and the landscape that I saw. And I didn't know, and maybe that those photographers had an intention for what the deeper meaning of their photographs was or what the purpose was. I don't know what that was. And I really doesn't matter to me. Those photographs touched me and excited me. And hopefully if, if any of my photos have an opportunity to reach someone else that way, then, then I'm, I'm happy for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so what is next for Photo Cascadia? You got the book is coming out and is there going to be another book or other projects or anything like that? Well, we have a in-store at um, a bookstore in Seattle on November 30th at 7 p.m. So we're getting all together for that. And, oh, nice. Uh, Elliott Bay Books up in Seattle. So we're going to break out the Washington book at that time. And uh, we're giving a presentation there. So that will be fun getting oh, all of yeah. us in front of a group of people. So I don't think we've done that before. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound exciting. Is there a place for people to sign up or find out more about that? It will probably be on the website for the Elliott Bay Books. And uh, again, they're in Seattle. So uh, they have a calendar there. And I think you just show up. I don't think you have to sign up for it. Okay. And we'll definitely be um, any 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 news or events that Photocascadia uh, has going on. We make sure to put all those on the Photocascadia website, either in the news or on the calendar. Or, um, we have an events page and things like that. So all that stuff will be there. And we also send it out news in our in our newsletter. Excellent. Yeah. So what is the Photo Cascadia website? Just plug it real quick. It's photocascadia.com. There you go. Really easy. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to link that in the show notes as well as all of your individual photography websites and your social media links as well. I'll just put them all in the show notes for people to check out, as well as a link to pre-order the Washington Evergreen book, uh, which is really exciting. I hope it's a super success when it comes out. Um, it's been really great chatting with you all about the book and about your photography. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks for your interest. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Brenda. Thank you, Brenda. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Photo Cascadia. And again, you can pre-order their latest book, Washington Evergreen, by going to their store on their website at photocascadia.com. And I'll put a link to that as well as to their individual websites and Instagram accounts in the show notes, which you can find at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 81. Again, thank you, Photo Cascadia, for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to say thanks or show your support, the best ways to do that are to leave a rating and review, buy me a coffee, which is like a podcast tip jar, or share the show with someone who you think would enjoy it. Links to how to do these can all be found on the website at outdoorphotographypodcast.com. And thank you so much for your support. And last but not least, I want to say thank you to everyone who submitted their tidbits for the upcoming special Tidbit Tuesday episode featuring you, our listeners, which will come out next week. 
It's been really great to hear so many wonderful ideas, and I can't wait to share them with you. And so until then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.